I mean, we've all been turned upside down. So it's the same for brands. Let's try something new that might, you know, actually sell more product. Why are Nike's Chunky Dunky sneakers selling for $6,000 on eBay? How did Mickey Mouse find his way onto a face mask? Exactly how did all that Stranger Things gear land in your shopping cart? We explore what makes you click buy on the products that stand out above the rest, thanks to a little thing called brand licensing. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global. Welcome to the Licensing Mixtape, a podcast by License Global. In today's episode, we're talking about the new business landscape brought on by COVID-19, how certain industries are faring, and how brands are resonating with consumers like never before. I'm Ben Roberts, and I'm joined by my co-host and fellow Licensed Global content editor, James Donnett. Hello, James. Hey, Ben. James, what are some of the things that you've been seeing this week that signify a bit of a change for brand licensing as a whole? One of the big things you think about, like um, Amazon and e-commerce, it might sound a little old hat, but you'd be surprised how many brands are just not kind of there yet. Um, Especially with COVID-19, we're seeing more and more uptick on e-commerce in general. And with that has come an uptick in people buying counterfeit merch. And Amazon has launched a crime unit for counterfeit that is aiming to kind of buckle down and kind of get rid of a lot of the counterfeit counterfeit items you come across on the site. I think counterfeit and e-commerce is a huge talking point and has been a huge talking point in brand licensing for a very long time. And to see Amazon crack down on it is is one definite change that we're going to see thanks to the boom in e-commerce. Um, more changes that we're seeing, especially on my side in the UK, is the introduction of e-commerce delivery levies uh, sitting in the wings, um, which could be a bit of a drag back for the government to try and inspire people to get back to retail as well. So there's a whole new landscape as all of this activity comes to the fold. But uh, what are the other signs that you're seeing happening in that space? Putting aside even Amazon, uh, I think one of the biggest channels right now is social media. You think about when you go through Instagram, you see ads and that's direct buying from brands. So you go to their e-commerce page for a specific brand you like um, and that's all very custom and you're kind of getting ads that are built around whatever you're looking at so it's a very direct approach to getting new customers the the big thing is with um, retail right now and and within the future is you're going to see a lot more event-driven retail so pop-up shops and and influencers kind of coming into stores you have to kind of marry um, basic stores with just kind of a real experience that people want to get out the door because you can get a lot of things online but it's all about creating a, an extra value for, for leaving your house and going into a shop. It's that reticence for people to leave their house. I think through all the reports I've read, a lot of people were going to be leaving it quite some time before they head out anywhere. So merging experiences, social media, building communities, and merging all of that with digital and physical retail, that is something that is definitely a prevalent trend. But through all of this combination of physical, digital, uh, social, it makes room for collaboration. And we're seeing that, especially with Kanye West and Gap and their 10-year deal. I think Gap stock price went up 42% uh, within minutes of the announcement coming out. It's really interesting when you bring up the the Kanye Gap stuff, because I I think for Kanye specifically, Specifically, he's not someone who's just going to put his name on something and kind of label slap. He, he really wants to collaborate with brands and build products and, and build apparel that speak to his audience and his sort of style. So um, when you think about collaborations moving forward, a lot of ways it's going to be, um, how can I work with you as a brand to develop something that's really cool and unique to me? 
And I think that's what brand licensing boils down to. And I think that's what we're talking about today, essentially, which is creating consumer products in a collaboration that resonates with people, that's authentic. And I think that works. And I think we're going to end up seeing more of that. Yeah, I think uh, that definitely speaks to the other side of the digital universe we live in right now is authenticity is huge no matter who you are, um, whether you're Kanye or your Gap or your Disney. Everyone wants authenticity and they want to feel like um, what they're buying is true to who these people are and what these brands stand for. I think consumers are careful. I think they are now going to be carefully shopping, carefully considering brands and going back to brands that they resonate with. I think it was uh, Kraft Heinz who were talking about emotional connection and how people revert to brands that they know and that they trust. And I don't think brand trust has ever been higher. I think we've seen that during lockdown. I think we've seen a lot of brands showing their human side, pitching in, helping out. And it's really done the brand consumer connection a lot of favors. Yeah, I, I look at reports and a lot of times you'll see sort of Gen Z and what they're looking for. And they want brands who stand for something, who kind of align with their ideologies, um, whether that's social or economic, whatever it is that they want people to, they want brands to stand for something. They want to have a connection in that way, which um, is pretty unique for for the millennials and Gen Z when you compare it to maybe um, Gen X or, or baby boomers. I agree. I think I think baby boomers, um, Gen X's, and even us fine millennials, we haven't had this exposure to collaboration to the level that other generations are currently having. And it's bringing out so many different innovations. It's bringing out so many different consumer solutions. It's creating new consumer demand. And it's working. It's, it's completely opening up new levels of access for brands. Yeah, I mean, you're adding a new element to your brand, really. So so Gap is, is Gap standalone. But then when they bring in Kanye, that's a that's a new line for them. That's that's com- it's going to be very different. You're kind of marrying two brands in a way that makes it completely unique. A good example of that, and it's a good success story of that, is Rihanna's uh, Fenty brand, which was born out of collaboration, uh, works with uh, Puma, Savage, and is now one of LVMH's most popular in-house brands. And that was something that was very prevalent on the run-up to lockdown. And I feel it's only going to get more prevalent after lockdown as people come together to share expertise um, and share, most importantly, audience spaces. Uh, because we don't know how people are going to react day by day. It is it is a very, very topsy-turvy world. And I think it is something that a lot of people end up looking to brands for a little bit of guidance for. Brands, that's someone you, you've come to, to love and trust, I guess, in a way. So, so you think about something like Sesame Street. They're, they're doing these uh things for kids right now that don't have school and and these and it's really helpful for parents and kids to just kind of find something they are used to right now and and having elmo explain washing your hands is probably a little bit better than maybe boris johnson i agree i think in some of the recent reports that we read um brand trust was probably higher than governmental trust and you have that backed by campaigns like sesame street you have that backed by all of the PPE efforts of Barber, uh, Gucci, LVMH, um, all the fashion houses, uh, you have resources for kids pretty much popping up everywhere, Heroes Lines by Mattel, and it's definitely resonating with people. And that, I think, is the background of this new consumer connection with brands. 
And not to mention, I mean, things happen so quickly that it's the brand licensing industry's signature to be so agile. So these campaigns happened fast. Yeah, I think when you speak about like how quickly everything ramped up, it also speaks to just how companies like Mattel have been prepared to work quickly for so long. Like they put in everything they need to kind of launch product quickly, sell product online fast, and all that preparation really paid off in a big way when things shut down and they had to divert attention to new needs. Well, someone who definitely knows a little bit more than we do uh, on the subject of brand licensing um, is our special guest for the day. It is Stephen Extract. Stephen is the founder of License Global. He is also the brand director of the Global Licensing Group, which hosts such events as Brand Licensing Europe and Licensing Expo. And he's also a well-known name, well-known industry personality, and an expert on all things brand licensing. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. All the better for seeing both of you guys here. So James and I, we've touched on a few trends, um, but we'd really love to hear about the new business landscape of brand licensing. Maybe if you could just walk us through some of the real signatures of this new normal and maybe how you would describe the brand licensing industry to people who might not be overtly aware of it. Well, it's always been a fluid industry and it's always been based uh, industry that's based on popular culture and trends, right? I think what we're seeing now with this pandemic is that um, it's actually sped up a number of trends that were happening in our industry anyway. It's just kind of pushed them to the forefront. The elephant in the room is really brick and mortar retail, right? For years, uh, we've known that um, brick and mortar retail was oversaturated particularly I think in the US and in the UK as well. Just way, way, way too many retailers. And, you know, there's been a trend for the last 10 years of e-com, right? E-commerce, and certainly the giant is Amazon. And Amazon has spent billions of dollars to engage customers through Amazon Prime, getting the people to sign up for Amazon Prime, right? getting next day or two-day two or next day delivery um, that costs virtually not, it costs Amazon money, it doesn't cost the consumer money. So they've made it, Amazon has made it worth the consumer's while to become their customer, right? They've also thrown in their uh, their video platform as well on top of that and their music platform. And, you know, it, it's, it's so engaging for consumers that it's very hard to turn away from. As a result, and, and still, even with what Amazon's done, that only represented a small percentage of retail sales. Then you have a pandemic that happens where people cannot go shopping, right? Except for basic needs. And what you have, and most retailers, most most apparel retailers, most toy retailers, etc., had to shut down. Then you have a situation where e-commerce is forced upon consumers. So anything that they need, they actually have to buy online. And what they discover is, hey, this isn't so bad, right? So you've got the customers who were e-com customers, and then you've got all these new customers who had to like jump in and say, you know what, I can do this. And, and so that's really, to me, that's probably the most revolutionary of the change that we've seen with this pandemic is that incredible uh, increase in e-commerce. Now, the other side of that equation is 
that from a brand perspective, a number of brands, as you guys know, have resisted selling on Amazon for specifically, mostly because of the counterfeiting that goes on. Uh, and, and Amazon has finally, finally, just in the last, in this past week, is finally trying to address that, right? They put together, um, they're putting together a, a group of, of anti-counterfeit experts and working on this, but this has been an issue for years that brands have, brand companies have talked to Amazon about, about how they're being knocked off. Their brands are being sold by counterfeiters online. And, um, and so, so hopefully that's gonna be addressed. Uh, you know, we just finished Licensing Week Virtual where a lot of the content that we uh, spoke about had to do with e-commerce it had to do with alternatives to Amazon, right? Which is, um, you know, in, here in the U.S., in Canada, in in the Americas, it's it's um, Shopify, right? Creating uh, online stores for brands, and and that's certainly something that we're seeing a lot more of. We're seeing um, both brand companies as well as their uh, their licensees who are realizing they have to have an e-commerce strategy. So, um, so that's, that's one thing, you know, from a, from a actual category, uh, categories that have grown, we're seeing certainly video games. We, we all know that, right. Um, streaming we've seen, and by the way, you guys did an incredible job on your trend report coming out of licensing week virtual. I read it from cover to cover and I thought it was really magnificent. So kudos to you guys for that because you really you hit the nail on the head um i would also say um one of the one of the things that came out for me was uh in traditional sports because we know that esports is growing tremendously and and for those of you out there who may not know what esports is it's basically competitive video gaming right uh and it's being embraced by young people whereas traditional sports are sort of aging out, right? I mean, here in the U.S., what we call football is not what you, uh, what what you Ben call football. Um, so our American football, our average, uh, the average viewer of uh, of football here in the U.S. is about 48 years old, right? So younger people are are much more engaged in, in esports. They're engaged in watching esports through Twitch. Point I wanted to make about traditional sports is what we're seeing in the US at least I don't know if this is true in the UK and you can you can tell me is we're seeing a lot more power going to the players and that's particularly through this pandemic what's happened is um, we're seeing players associations um, really kind of standing up for their players and saying you know what our players are are critical to the sports obviously uh, you know, and, and here in the U.S., we're not going to have a Major League Baseball because of the fact that the players are in such disagreement with the owners. However, on bas- with basketball, there's such a strong players association that the players association and the owner, the team owners, have actually come to an agreement on, um, on revenue share and on being able to get back into a season. So that's pretty interesting as well. I found that pretty interesting as well. So as far as other other categories of growth, I mean, you know, in the kids area, you know, kids are stuck at home, right? 
parents are always going to feel um, guilty about their kids not being able to do what they feel the kids should be doing, which is, you know, going to school, being able to physically go to school, being able to physically go outside and play with their friends. So, um, so kids products are doing extremely well. I was on the phone yesterday with a company called Crayola, which makes crayons, and their sales are are better than they've ever been because you know parents are buying more more um, merch for their kids. Toy sales are way up. Puzzle sales are way up. Um, book kids book sales are way up. Uh, certainly, you know, in the streaming realm, you know. Companies like Disney Plus are doing uh, are doing phenomenally. So, um, so yeah, I mean, and and I think what we'll see when the pandemic uh, is finally sort of dealt with, I think we'll see a lot more um, emphasis on people taking vacations to theme parks, going back to theme parks, taking their kids to theme parks. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be a huge a huge business that's going to return as well. So. Um, so I guess back to the original point of what you asked me is what we're really seeing is just a speeding up of what has been happening, which is the going from an analog to a digital world, going from a brick and mortar shopping uh, to e-commerce shopping. Uh, and then, you know, Hollywood has had to say, OK, we have to release our films through streaming, right? We can't just sit on all these films because they're backing up. And that, that's a big sea change for our industry. As, as you guys know, uh, the traditional licensing business, 44% of that business is based on entertainment. 44% um, of the sales of consumer products is based on entertainment. And certainly Hollywood has always had a big part of that. So figuring out movie releases, figuring out, you know, how, you know, and Universal was pretty amazing with they with they with what they did with Trolls, right? In that they they finally broke that that um, that window and said, okay, we can't release it theatrically, so we're going to release it um, through uh, on demand, and that really aggravated the theater owners to the point where one theater uh, one theater chain said they wouldn't even allow Universal to uh, they wouldn't buy Universal films anymore. But you know what? You can't stop um, progress, right? And this is just part of progress. This has been happening a long time, and it's not. It shouldn't be all. It shouldn't be all or none. It should be. Let's find a happy medium, right? People are still going to want that theatrical experience. We as human beings, we we crave being with other people and experiencing things um, with them. This is why live stage shows, which is this is why concerts, um, you know, it, uh, it is are are live concerts going to stop? No, they're going to start up again as soon as the pandemic's over. But you know what? Let's all be reasonable and realize that until until we can um, show films in theaters again, until we can go to live concerts. There needs to be alternatives for consumers, right? So, um, so yeah. Uh, but but I do know that, um, and I'm sure you guys are experiencing this as well. That particularly here in, in Ben, you're in the UK. I don't know what things are like in the UK, but here in the US, we've actually had um, a resurgence of of the pandemic in certain states because people were so eager to get back to normal that they didn't 
they sort of forgot that, guess what? The virus didn't go away just because the sun came out and the weather got warmer, right? I think the official statement was that we're not out of the woods yet, uh, but we're returning to retail. And I think footfall levels were at 43% of what they were a few weeks back. Uh, but it's, it's a long way from where we need to be, but it's a good sign. But we are definitely seeing some of the trends that you guys have over there, especially the sped up evolution of certain trends that are happening anyway. I think sports is a really interesting point of view. I think sports is going to be absolutely massive once it returns to screens. I know it found an avenue through esports, but we also have that player power that you're experiencing as well. So we, we in Europe, we have Kylian Mbappe, uh, you know, the classics of David Beckham, who now owns his own esports team. So there are trends that are happening here, that are happening there. But James, you're quite up on your NFL. You love basketball, I know. Um, you also recently wrote a report on player power in the NFL as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing when you think about players, they're becoming also like personalities because of social media and fantasy football and stuff people recognize who tom brady is without the helmet and i think for the first time that's really changed how they can leverage their brand for licensing um steven have you noticed kind of a shift in how players are able to license their individual brands aside from just like the team but like how tom brady would work with the licensee instead of the nfl or the patriots or the bucks now so you know, there's there's very specific rules when you uh, when you're a player in any of the leagues about um, about what you can do with your brand. I mean, certainly with Tom Brady or any of the any of the players in any of the leagues, their numbers, their um, you know their imagery as far as in when they're in uniform, that's one thing. What Tom Brady can do in his personal life, that's separate, right? And um, and certainly we've seen you know, sports celebrities over the years that have really capitalized on their personality. I mean, I mean, there's, uh, there's here in the US, and you probably don't have this in in UK, even though you guys love tea, Ben, but, you know, iced tea here in the US is just, it's a huge industry, iced tea. And there's a, a golfer, Arnold Palmer, who's quite famous, and there's a drink named after him, and uh, it, it was named after him because he enjoyed it. It was a mix of iced tea and lemonade. And basically, it became kind of generic. Like, you would go to a restaurant and say, I want an Ar Ar Arnold Palmer. Anywhere in the United States, they would know what that meant. Arnold Palmer's half lemonade and half iced tea. Well, um, Arnold Palmer's licensing agency, for him personally, was uh, is, is IMG. And IMG actually managed to to um, brand the Arnold Palmer brand as an iced tea and create it um, as an iced tea. And, you know, now you go and buy Arizona iced tea, Arnold Palmer, which is half lemonade and half, and it's a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, so so that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. And, you know, a lot of times in different countries, um, the there's different rules as far as like, um, personalities and licensing. I know in the UK you guys have different um, regulations and rules than we have over here. Uh, so that really depends, I think, on territory, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, there's always going to be players that are going to stand out, right, and are going to be known for for something in particular, and and they can personally certainly use that as a brand. And I think we see that just in general with influencers, right? 
I mean, if going beyond sports, when you look at what the Kardashians have done, it's just amazing, right? Um, you know, multi-billion dollar brand. I, I just saw that um, that two of the Kardashians came together to create, uh, they're co-branding uh, both of their beauty brands together. It's quite interesting, so. One of the great examples that you gave there was Arnold Palmer's uh, iced tea, but that's a relatively old school, uh, example of brand licensing it's clean cut it works it's it's good business what would you say is a perfect example of brand licensing today because we're seeing a lot more collaboration driven licensing happen and the, the term brand extension coming through do you think there's been a bit of a change in terms of how business is done consumers love brands right and that's why our business does so well and it always will is because consumers embrace brands and brands don't just have to be you know packaged goods brands it can be you know, celebrity brands, it can be entertainment brands, it can be anything that's branded, right? But um, brands have meaning, there's meaning behind them, emotional, they have an emotional um, uh, appeal to the consumer. So when you take two brands and put them together, you've got double your double the enjoyment, right? And that's why collaborations are doing so well, because it creates joy for the consumer. I mean, the the Frosted Flakes and Fruit Loops collaboration, right? Uh, both are cereals from Kellogg's, but they're now marketing them together uh, as a, in a box. And what a brilliant idea that is, right? And what a delight for the consumer because they were mixing them anyway, right? That's a perfect example of of one brand that took two of its sub-brands and collaborated, right? And really smart. And you know what? what? What I'm seeing is a lot because of this pandemic, brands are, aren't being so conservative. They're being much more agile and they're being much more open minded about these kind of collaborations. They're going, you know what? We can we can try new things now because the world's kind of topsy turvy. Right. I mean, we've all been turned upside down. So it's the same for brands. Let's try something new that might, you know, actually sell more product. So. Yeah, I think one of the things Ben and I were talking about earlier is the the Kanye West Gap uh, collab, and, and just how that seems like a great fit for both brands, and, and now they can really collaborate. And Kanye brings a lot to Gap, and Gap has a lot of resources that Kanye West probably wouldn't have to begin with. Yeah, um, my, here's my concern because you know I I've been doing this a long time. Uh, you guys know I've been doing this for 22 years, and what I what. What saddens me is that when a great brand like Gap, right, that's just, they've been around for, for uh, 50, maybe 60, 50, at least 50 years, right? And really we're a leading retailer in the US and they've fallen on hard times, um, you know, in the last decade or so. Um, but what saddens me is why they wait so long to do something that's so smart, right? Um, I, I Sometimes I think it's like, um, I think, guys, you waited too long to do this, right? Whereas when you look at it, you look at a global retailer like Uniqlo that does this all the time, right? Um, they're really smart because they do it all the time. And, and so I'm just, I'm sad because I don't know that this will necessarily be something that will save Gap, right? Um, I don't know, but but I'm, I think it's smart that they finally got around to doing it. Yeah, I think it's smart. So I'm glad to see. I think to your point on, 
on the timeliness of it all is pretty important because while this lockdown period and the outbreak of COVID-19 has caused, of course, great sadness, um, but it's also caused a, a huge business shift and that has now been happening for a matter of months. But do you think this is still the perfect time to retool, revitalize for businesses and brands or has that window gone? No, you know what? I think it's an equal playing field. I don't think it's too late for anyone to try anything new. I think um, part of staying relevant as a brand is trying new things. And I think that's why you see why Nike has done so well over the years, right? But, you know, there's certain brands, I think more so now than ever, consumers are looking to brands who stand for something, right? You really need to, whether it, whether it be um, the environment or whether it be BLM movement, but brands that stand for something are going to do better now than they ever have because people are much more focused now. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, we all went about our lives super busy, you know, we were all overscheduled. We didn't really have a lot of time to really focus and think. Um, now we're all at home, right? We're much more focused on media, right? Whether it be what we're seeing, we're much more focused on what's going on in the world. We're all honed in, right, on media right now. And you have our attention. Mm-hmm. I think it even goes back to just kind of all the, the digital platforms we're using in our day-to-day, like social media has really connected us in a big way and kept our attention on issues that kind of connect us all. I know you're a busy man, Stephen, so thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the licensing mixtape. Just to help us close the episode, if you could describe the brand licensing industry in a tweet or in a nutshell, what would that be? Once we've dealt with the pandemic, I think we're going to see brand licensing come back stronger more stronger than it's ever been. Uh, And uh, I think, again, to go back to those brands that that are doing things, are representing themselves currently right now, showing the consumer that they're they're, um, out there and that they're supporting them, I think those brands will do uh, even better in the future. Seeing this is the first episode of season one of the licensing mixtape, it goes without saying that we'll be coming back with more interviews, more insights, and more thought leadership. But we want to hear from you. If you've got any thoughts, suggestions, maybe solutions to problems we didn't even know we had, get in touch. Email us at news at licenseglobal.com to have your say on the licensing mixtape. Until then, it's thank you from me. Thank you from James. Thank you. And thank you from Stephen Extract. Thank you.